I think, you know, the quickest way to get started is just by doing, taking action, being willing to test things, being willing to learn, be curious, and actually go through the process. You know, nothing should ever deter you, no matter how much change is going on in the market. It's just important to pay attention to where those shifts are happening and then adjust with the right information and making sure that you understand what's going on. That way you can better prepare yourself and start low. You don't need to go big on the first day. You can actually start small, get a good understanding, and then once you're comfortable, then you can have some explosive growth and actually try these risky things or do these incredible campaigns. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Going into a conversation such as the one with my guest today, Chase Chapel, whose digital marketing agency is responsible for eight-figure ad spend on Facebook and advisory in the nine-figure range, which at that point, I'm not even sure I quantified that correctly, but needless to say, it's a lot to work with. My biggest takeaway was the fundamental laws of what makes an ad effective don't suddenly change at that level. You just need to do it that much more expertly. Chase Chapel, it is good to have you here on Ecomonics. Uh, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Feeling great. It's beautiful outside. I have a cow view. I can see the wonderful green happening. Summer's almost here. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, summer is um, pretty much here. I'm, I'm here in Toronto, Canada. Whereabouts are you? Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Okay. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So we're already hitting like 90s. There's a number of places that uh, I, uh, I I suppose I fantasize about moving to because I'm, I, I consider myself like a closet American, like I, uh, <laughs> Florida, Texas, basically anywhere that's open up right now is nice. super there you go. to me. Yeah. So, uh, so, so there's that. I might uh, ask you a bonus question towards the end. If you just want to tell us something fun about, uh, about Texas or Dallas. So we'll get to that. Awesome. I also wanted to say before I, uh, I, 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 I love my, <laughs> I was about to say hit you with my opening question. I don't know that that's been seemed almost too, uh, assertive to my liking, but before I lob my opening question to you, uh, I also wanted to say I I always do probably like 30 minutes, 40 minutes worth of prep just so that I see it or I understand as much of my guests as I can going in. And I've been doing this show for about a year and I'm continually, I guess, in awe of the scope of e-commerce. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know how many more uh, uh, companies I'm going to come across working at the level that a company such as yours is working at, but um, there's going to be another and there's going to be another after that. And it's it's yeah. hard for me to, to quantify. And that's coming from somebody who spent the last year trying. So I right. I just wanted to, I guess, make that known because uh, that's where my mind is at. So with that, tell us what you do and what you're up to these days. Yeah, I mean, essentially right now, we, I run an agency. We have nearly 20 people on our team. We manage Facebook ads, Google ads, TikTok ads and do all of the media buying. We don't do any creative. We manage over 10 million in spend there. And then I have you know, a training company where I teach people how to do the Facebook ads and you know, I advise on over $185 million there uh, in spend. And so I'll end up showing people how to actually set up the campaigns and focus on a more data approach rather than you know, the latest, greatest strategy. It's more or less about like understanding numbers, reading the data and really understanding everything. And then also I'm launching Surge, which is a software company that we're about the release and it's going through beta and currently, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's really going to help out with the whole iOS 14 and being able to track and attribute things more accurately, given that, you know, a lot of the curtains have now been pulled back. 
So that way people can use it as a, you know, analyzation tool and optimize their campaigns when they're running, you know, actual Facebook ads, Google ads, and TikTok ads. So is search, uh, I, I, I did look at it and, in, uh, at the, at the time of this recording, it's in uh, beta. So was it being developed specifically to respond to this issue? Yes. And as a tool that we can, you know, it's made, we're, we're marketers and, you know, we built it for marketers. So the dashboard is, you know, meant to feel seamless whenever you actually get access to it and being able to like, Hey, I've ran Facebook ad campaigns. This is very similar. And they can actually see their data, see where all the sources are coming from and, you know, integrate it with Shopify, integrate it with TikTok, Google and all their campaigns to have all of their data in one place in one dashboard. So that way they can actually see truly where the, you know, actual results are coming from because sometimes people click, you know, on Facebook the first time, but then they convert on Google. Google gets the last touch attribution and then Facebook isn't even picking up that data. Well, ours is going to give us, you know, transparency and say, Hey, you know, the first person actually came from Facebook. That's where they were acquired. They just so happen to purchase after they searched you guys. And one thing I can see as an advantage to this as well is that it would, I think, encourage sellers to be more open-minded about other platforms that maybe they're not advertising on. I think one of the main reasons why somebody picks a platform such as Facebook is to be able to collect and use that da that data. Yes. And so by having the data in all these different sources, aside from the the mess of having you know twelve different dashboards, um, it, it's also difficult, I think, to understand and analyze that that data because it's it's like several different languages or one language Absolutely. different dialects so for all of that yes. to be condensed into that that also seems like a bit of a challenge to you know understand how each platform is speaking to yes. to the seller and also you know, the different mindsets that consumers are in you know one thing that i've you know, that i that i've learned over, over the course of this is you know you understand the intentions change from platform to platform facebook it, this is my opinion but in my opinion um facebook is a discovery platform People just kind of scroll just to get their their dopamine hits. Uh, Google is a, an intent platform, searching for answers, but not necessarily a buy. Amazon is I'm looking for something I'm willing to pay as soon as I get the the solution to my problem. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it, it does go both ways because I mean, let's say you're hungover and now you want to search a hangover remedy, and then all of a sudden you find something in response for that. But there's you know predominantly exactly what you said is is the case. Yes. Right on. Uh, you you mentioned that uh, this is in response to really the big thing that we wanted to talk about on the show today. And to my audience who have been listening to each episode so far, thank you. Email us and I'll, I'll send you a coffee or something. But uh, but uh, the last uh, person that we spoke to about this issue was Christian Leversich of Leversich Media. And so our, our audience and myself, were, uh, we are somewhat aware of it, but I, I imagine that there's been more to the story since then. So uh, I'll just let you know, you know, what I'm aware of in broad strokes. Um, the the details are somewhat beyond my capacity, to be perfectly honest. My understanding is that Facebook, um, or sorry, Apple, um, wants to have more of a curated experience for their users. They don't want their users to have their data sent to Facebook. So there's a there's a barrier being put up, which means that Facebook advertisers are struggling at best to be able to collect the data from Apple users, which depending on what product and what niche you're in is a pretty significant part of the part of, could be a significant part of the target market. So that's everything I've got so far. So you can uh, uh, let us know what's the situation or what needs to be clarified as well. Yeah, no, I mean, that's essentially what's going on. I mean, like you said, Apple wants to be more privacy driven for that, you know, all the Apple users, which is totally fair. Everybody deserves privacy. 
And especially, you know, if it's not private, you don't want your data in the wrong hands of the wrong person. But at the end of the day, what's happening is, is they're saying, you know, here's Facebook who wants to have access to this information. But their question is, why do they even need access to it? You know, what's the purpose of them having it other than to sell users' data? Well, you know, the one thing they want to do is ensure that the data goes back into the hands of the actual business. If you're selling a product, you have to know who that person is and you have to know their address because you have to make that product for them and ship it to them. So, of course, you need that information. And Apple's not worried about that. They're worried about other people having their hands in it. So that's where, you know, we're really also coming into play here because we want to say, okay, you know, the small business owner, the average business owner should have the decision to do what they want with the data as long as their, you know, policies are intact with, you know, all of the users who use their site accept to it. And then they should be able to send the data where they want. And so when you have a third-party tracking come in, you can actually have that information forwarded to, you know, actually track appropriately and you can still use the same optimizations as you once would, you know, on Facebook. Uh, which is where you know surge is really coming into play here. But at the end of the day, with all this stuff that's happening and you can't see all this information, Facebook's still combating it by actually having a predictive algorithm because they've been doing this for years. And they're able to actually you know predict whether or not a user is going to have a high purchase intent and if they're actually going to make the purchase on the actual site. So there's a good chance that the system could predict it wrong. But there's also you know a higher chance that it's going to be much more accurate than not. So the good thing is you can still get results attributed. You just might not know exactly which audience or which person who it was that actually made that purchase or where they originally came from. So there's a couple things you can do. The conversion API, if somebody has an ad blocker, doesn't matter the conversion API is going to track it. The other thing is UTM source tracking, which essentially means that as long as somebody makes the purchase or submits their lead information, that you know URL string, which is going to tell you their campaign, their you know audience and the ad they came from, so that way you can know on your actual, you know, end. So if you have Shopify, you can actually pull this report in the marketing reports and say, hey, they actually came from this platform. Doesn't track it 100%, but it's certainly better than not tracking at all. And then, you know, the other things are actually just being compliant, actually verifying your domain, going through the hoops and jumps of making sure you've done all these things. Because if you don't, Facebook's now having to, you know, actually limit you, stop you from running ads, and you have to stick to one conversion value. So uh, just making sure you're doing all the right steps and actually doing what most of these companies are asking. Because one, it's good for the user. And two, you want to do that because you don't want to be prevented, you know, from running ads and so forth. And I think it also speaks to a more uh, broad-reaching issue when I think dropshipping reached its apex of prominence, the, the standard by which these companies should operate was non-existent. Somebody could sell a product and then not ship it, close the website exactly, down and take yes. a bunch of money and run. So oh, yeah. I, 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 I don't know, maybe it's just because I haven't uh, put too much skin in, into it. So you know, my opinion comes from more of the outsider's perspective, at least for now, which is as I see these standards increasing, it says to me, well, these are kind of the standards that have probably shouldn't have been in there in the first, should have been there in the first yes. place. This is, this is how business operates through um, uh, tangibility and accountability. So w- when I see this, an- another thing that, I guess a disconnect that I face is how much of the information for any given user is attributed to Facebook, regardless of what device they're using it on. So, I mean, I, for instance, I use Facebook on my Samsung, uh, an Android device. I also use uh, Facebook on my, on my, on my browser. A lot of my, my, my input uh, is, is, is there on my account. So I guess what I don't really understand is, um, how much of a significant difference it really makes on what device I'm using and how the how marketers uh, have to l- look for that quantifiable data versus the data that should be on Facebook just on an account basis. 
Yeah. From an optimization standpoint, it's good to know which one you're converting on. So like you might, you know, find, discover some on your phone, but you might enjoy purchasing on your desktop. So that's good information to know which device you're purchasing from. But in terms of tracking, it's all going to end up at the same road. We're going to know period, you know, which device you're on, because if you're logged in on both platforms, now we have both of your user information. And secondly, as soon as you go to a site, as long as somebody has a pixel on there, they're going to be able to pick that device up and then that's saved forever as long as you're browsing the web. Any site you go to with a Facebook pixel, they're knowing exactly where you're going, what you're looking at, which is also self-adding you to these interest groups for advertisers. And so, you know, whether you're on your phone or not, I mean, the ads are still going to end up showing up in both cases. It's just a matter of, you know, on the other side, if you're going to optimize for that, you want to know, you know, is the user purchasing on the phone or are they purchasing on desktop? Because if they discover you on your phone, then that's great. But if they're actually converting on a desktop, you want to make sure you're optimized on that view. But, you know, or the other end, maybe you only purchase on your phone and you discover on your desktop. So you want to make sure that the site's optimized, it's converting properly, you have everything in place. And then as well as the ads, ads can look totally different on two devices. So, you know, right now, reels and all of these different things are really hot. So you want to make sure your placements for stories, reels, you know, TikTok are all in those vertical formats because those are what you know, where all the attention is right now currently. So like if you're, you know, not in these formats, a lot of times you're not even delivering to these placements. Right. Okay. That, that makes sense. Like, so for, for instance, um, if I, if, if I'm not uh, creating any, I've, you know, ha having looked at, at, uh, at the Facebook uh, business manager and the different uh, ad campaigns. So, you know, for anybody who hasn't uh, done this yet, your format can change on several different in several different ways. So, you know, you create one thing. Okay, you have your desktop format. You have your your iPhone format. You have um, the the vertical format, which I believe you mentioned. So that that clear that helps clear that up, and it actually expands on it in a couple of ways too, because I think it also speaks to um, even what I had mentioned earlier is you know if they're an Apple user, they're part of the Apple target market. Uh, which I believe, and I think I actually think I might be wrong about this, but it gr slightly increases the chances that they might own a Tesla. Um, which yeah. actually, no, I just, mine delivers Saturday. Oh yeah! Oh, congr congratulations! <laughs> I so. owned all Apple, and that that probably stands right. Yeah, I've uh, I've only heard that they're a smooth ride, but I've yet to uh, be picked up by by one. I've never been in one, so I'll find out this weekend. Yeah, uh, well, you got my email. I'm, I'm I'm curious to hear about it. So actually, I guess uh, this is how I, I want to frame it is that, you know, I always want to hear more along the lines of like, you know, what personal experiences or on the on your from the perspective of your company, uh, you know, the the experiences or how this has impacted you. So um, one question is from your experience, is an event like this unprecedented? Were there were there warning signs? And then also like, was it a nightmare? Was it more just like, oh, all right, I guess I'm going to switch this around. These events have been happening every year. This one just seems more predominantly talked about because there's more advertisers than there's ever been. And a lot of people have relied on data for a while. And this is the first time where there's been a more significant pullback, but there's been significant pullbacks plenty of times. I've been doing this for, you know, seven years now. And, you know, back when the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal happened, we all had a, a lot of us larger agencies had access to the same data they did. You know, they're just the ones that, you know, were ringed up as the poster child for, you know, doing things the wrong way. But a lot of us had the same access of information. They were just using it in a different way than others were. And that information was, I mean, like you could literally pull up a profile of somebody and see their entire logged history of what they were doing. And so like you could use that data to your advantage and come up with, you know, insane audiences. You could target race, you could target ethnicity, you could target all kinds of different things. And then they switch that, they pull back that curtain. They say, hey, no more of this targeting. Now, if you want to target anybody... Um, they're going to say, Hey, it's an affinity. So this person acts like this, you know, specific ethnic background, which, you know, is the new gauge for targeting. 
And they end up taking away a lot of audiences then. And then they also pulled back on who can have access to certain information in the API. Because you could pull a whole log of people's information and you know mine it. You would have everybody's profile information. So they're like, no more of that. And so there's even times before that. You know, back when, uh, before there was even video, there was, what would happen is you would launch an image online and it would take you out of the app on Facebook and to your website. You know how much time you can get somebody to stay on your website if they're not even opening it in app. If you actually leave that entire app altogether and land on somebody's site, the amount of time somebody's going to spend on your site is going to go up and you're going to make way more money. That's why email lists are good because it's getting them out of the app and going to the site, right? Would you get those great conversions? Whereas on Facebook now, back then, before they even had the video ads, they made this switch. And so many companies figured out, hey, we could build a two, three, five, $10 million business on Facebook ads for literally like $10,000 a month. It was absolutely ridiculous. Millions of users, you know, you could ping to your site. Literally, here's what happened. That was all of their ad revenue. That was all of the, everything they relied on. And as soon as Facebook said, hey, instead of us making people leave our app, why don't we just keep them on our app and open the website? And if they don't want to be on the website anymore, or as soon as they're done purchasing, then continue scrolling. And their, you know, engagements went way up. But this absolutely annihilated a huge amount of businesses. And nobody's talking about this because it was such a long time ago. But if you look this back up, you know, there's so many businesses that went out of business that got crushed online. There wasn't, you know, any big Amazon stuff happening yet. So like all of these businesses got, you know, 75, 80% of the revenue cut literally within days. I mean, it was absolutely insane. And they couldn't even get their, you know, site to optimize because now it's loading within somebody's app. And with the speeds back then, you can imagine you're running the back end of Facebook, plus you're loading a site on top of it. So it was a huge issue, and that crushed businesses. You know, I, I wouldn't even consider that as severe as what's happening now with iOS 14. I think it's just preventing, it's just putting up a barrier to entry now, because now people won't be able to get a lot of data. So what they're having to do is like do all this, you know, these nonsense campaigns like link clicks and traffic and engagements just to get information, and then they have to start moving up the ladder, which ends up costing you way more than just being able to jump straight to conversions now. Because when people launch an ad account, now what they're having to do is actually get purchases before they can even do a purchase conversion campaign, which is already a big barrier to entry because used to, you throw up a conversion campaign day one, you could see a purchase, no problem. And it would start optimizing. Now, Facebook doesn't even have as much data as they once had access to on your site because of this opt-out that you're now having to force yourself to spend more money just to get the information you need. So it's, you know, we see this every year. I think this one just might be more talked about than, you know, previous ones. Right. Well, you know, I, I, I do my best not to bring COVID-19 into the conversation unless I feel it's relevant. And I feel like it is relevant in this case because we're talking about an unprecedented event that doesn't happen every year. It, it massively expanded the need for, for e-commerce and not just on the demand side, but also on the supply side. It uh, hundreds, if not tens of thousands of, of new sellers emerged because A, they were running a business and they needed to... Uh, to adapt, otherwise they were going to go out of business, or they they lost their jobs, they lost their 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 way of, their, frankly, their way of life, and then they needed something to start bringing in revenue. And it's amazing to to see, I guess, the inherent economic strength of both the buyers and the sellers is that there's enough people willing to take the risks, but there's also enough people willing to make these purchases as well. This is this is the first that I that I've heard of. I I just want you to also uh, help me uh, clarify what year this was. The in-app purchases where it was trying to load the websites within Facebook. What was the time frame for that exactly? Yeah, I I don't have an exact year because okay, I mean, it was it was it was right when I started, but it was in like 2013, 14 or 16. It's one of these time frames, but 
you know, that's when I first started out. And like, we were running ads before videos. They didn't even have video. Can you imagine Facebook without videos now? It'd be crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've been, I mean, I'm a, a 31 year old millennial. I remember Facebook before video. I remember, <laughs> I remember Facebook before it was dynamic. Um, cause initially Facebook was more like an or living, breathing yearbook where it yes. was just about preserving memories where, yes. you know, you'd say, Oh, here's the photos from the semi-formal dance. And you know, yeah, yeah uh, that, this was fun. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All right. Well, see you guys in class. Sometimes I'll, I'll have this, this trip through memory lane where I will open up a message history from somebody that I had in contact with since those times. It can actually see a change in, in behavior when somebody sends a message expecting it to be received right away versus at that time, it was basically an extension of your email inbox. So I say, yeah, yeah. you know, it was, it was great um, uh, studying with you and, uh, you know, uh, good luck. And that I was like, yeah, so just a quick nostalgia there for Facebook of all things. When, when you're describing this to me, the, the disconnect is to me is that it's see from the premise, this would actually increase conversions because it reduces the time for the consumer to go through the remainder of the funnel. If the product is, is there right away, they, that is the, I think the swiftest somebody can, can make the decision to make the purchase. And the, it's not like the website is being left out of the dark. You know, you still have the opportunity yes, to present your Yes, you're brand. referring to the product being on Facebook right. for purchase. Yeah. yeah, the Facebook shopping. Well, no, I mean, well, uh, maybe because uh, maybe because I, I, I'm kind of like using my imagination here to, to picture yes. a situation that doesn't uh, it's not uh, occurring at the moment, but that somebody would tr be trying to load a different website while they're on Facebook. And so to me, this seems like, well, that's a quicker way to convert, not counting uh, Facebook shopping. But in actuality, it, it turned out to, to crush businesses. And I, I, I think that is a sign that this particular feature was probably too early and that if it had the ability to convert and load swiftly now, that might do a lot better. Yeah. And you and and certainly it took time for people to figure out the whole speed thing, but a lot of it was to do with the, you know, internet barrier. Well, I think that the uh, just accessing it altogether or loading, yeah. just load times. Yeah. Everybody's internet connections just weren't there yet. You know, we have, you know, thousand gigabyte download speeds within a second. You could load 10 movies in a fraction of a second in some cities. It's absolutely crazy. Back then, you know, it'd take hours. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole uh, documentary there in, in the waiting of just all of the different ways people have had to interact with it. Now, I have an interesting question for you, which is, oh, you know, over time, you see these different, I want to call it event horizon, because I just like calling it that, but I don't think that's really what it's called. It's just these different events, these different situations. And, you know, what fundamentals remain for businesses that have been able to guess weather these storms and survive yes. these and continue to ideally be profitable, but given some of the circumstances, just stay afloat? There are pillars and there always is. And, you know, the people who get, you know, totally knocked out or totally, you know, prevented from ever able to do something, they wouldn't have survived to begin with long term because there's always something that's going to happen every year. So you need a strong structural business to be able to handle these things. And, you know, some of these pillars are one, having an outstanding offer. At the end of the day, any great offer is going to, you know, you're going to be able to actually drive conversions with the data without it. Because eventually, if you're just showing it to enough people, you're going to get conversions because it's something that, you know, individuals actually want. It's a too good to be true offer. Like, for instance, if you have, you know, your closest competitor uh, is priced at 25, but you're priced at 10, like that's the second best pricing option is 25. Everybody's going to want to opt for that $10, you know, value. 
there's no other competition even in that price range. It's not like they're a dollar more. I mean, we're talking about a $15 you know, dollar split difference. So like that's you know a good offer will allow you to stay ahead of the competition. Now, the other thing is creative, being able to communicate with your audience. You know, there's different generations. People respond to different things as well as there's subcategories within all of that. You know, everybody's different. So you have to have very unique messaging. So it's always good to call out your audience because if you can't specifically figure out how to target them or have the data to target them, then you need to figure out who your person is and then just say that through the actual line. Let's say that, you know, you're looking to go after mothers. Well, you can actually straight up put that in your ad text and say, hey, mothers, and then, you know, talk about what it is that you're selling the product, the value that it comes with. And then that creative speaks to them because you're calling out the mothers. You know, dads aren't going to really respond to that. And kids aren't either because it's not addressing them. So that captures the attention of your audience for you when they actually see it. The other thing outside of the creative and the offer is actually just having a very good product. You know, something that's actually has quick shift times, good experience, good customer service. People really enjoy using it, has a lot of value. And, you know, it's something that they end up referring to their friends. They say, hey, buy this because that's going to end up spreading word of mouth as well. So like those are three main things and you know the whole experience with all that is included with it but you know those are the real solid pillars you need and then the rest of it is really analyzing data understanding who you know what it is that's making somebody convert and optimizing and tweaking all these other parts to get you know max efficiencies out of everything. Mm-hmm. You know one, one thing I'm wondering about well because you with your example with uh, advertising to moms specifically is if you know you've seen uh, success in uh, advertising adjacent to. So say, for instance, if a product is really good for a mother, it's not always the case that the mother is going to buy the product. Sometimes it's the husband that buys a product or the son That's that right. buys a product. And then, of course, you got Mother's right. Day as a significant event for that. So yes, have, have you seen that uh, uh, turnaround effectively where it's like, hey, sons, here's the product that your mother yes. would really like? So you wouldn't address the other side of the audience. You just wouldn't address them, period. It would just be the product because you know you have spouses that'll buy, you have family that'll buy, you have cousins that'll buy for them, friends, you know, lots of people will buy for, you know, a product and then give it as a gift or, you know, get it for somebody or they're thinking about them or they had a conversation about it over dinner and they're like, oh, there it is. I'm gonna buy that for them. So like, yes, 100%. A lot of times people get hung up on the idea that their product is specifically for say it's ladies only. Well, it might be for ladies only, but you got to think other people are thinking about them too. So they're going to buy that product as well. So you're automatically excluding an audience that actually could actually purchase that product, even though they might not not necessarily use it themselves. So without a doubt, you want to go you know more broad with your targeting, but your messaging can be more specific. That's an issue that you know even I'm I'm facing right now in the position that I'm in because I'll, I I have no problem revealing uh, what product I'm I'm working on right now. But you, you've ever seen it? These drawers you stick underneath your desk allows you to put stationery in there, makes the desk um, space much more convenient and efficient. I like it. I've Perfect. got a few attached to my desk already. Yeah, there you go. And and I and I remember being asked like, "What's my target market for it?" And I hesitated. Because I knew the answer was unisex, but it almost seemed like it was too broad. And I and I by not narrowing it down to a more specific audience, I was actually doing myself a disservice. Yeah, and like the ways you can find that out is like you can hit these work from home audiences, and you can adjust your you know you know your messaging. Like work from home can you know be a clutter once you're back once you're actually staying home full time from the office. People used to go into the office, they'd have the desk, they'd have all their stuff organized. They get home, you know, they have a desk, but not everything's organized. So the whole work from home thing, you can appeal to that side. And you just keep going after those different segments and different groups for those people who like it. There might be organization, you know, um, 
people who are absolutely fanatics about organizing and they have all these organizers and they buy every damn organizer they see online. And so that's also an audience because they, you know, they own 50 of them, but gosh, they do want that 51th one. They want to try it out. Then you have people who review things. Then you have, you know, individuals who will buy it and want to use it for their desk. They're going to go stick it in their kid's room or they're going to buy it and give it to a friend. There's so many different categories. That's why it can be so broad. But at the same time, you can have these sub-markets where you're like, hey, predominantly 80% of my audience is definitely work from home people who struggle with you know, keeping organized after they left their office. And then 20% is you know, parents thinking about their kids because they think their kids are just a bunch of clumsy, you know, <laughs> throw it everywhere kind of person. It, man, I, I got to say, I love doing this show. I get I get so much great <laughs> mentoring advice. Um, but I also want to make sure that you know uh, I'm asking this in a way that's parallel to my audience's journey because you know they're they're trying to solve the same problems that I'm trying to solve. Bearing in mind the uh, the, the issue that we you know we've been uh, we, we've been talking about uh, with iOS 14.5. So for people who are they're they're about to get onto Facebook and. I guess the question can actually be be broken down into a couple of uh, of components. One of them is is Facebook advertising an ideal starting point at this point? Um, should people be looking into a different platform as a as a starting point? To me, my understanding is that Facebook is the great place to start. It's kind of like the battlefield. Uh, it's it's where it's where you go to to cut your teeth. And then there are other uh, platforms to to branch out into. That's my understanding of it. But um, well, yeah, yeah, there's a couple hundred billion of commerce going through this thing every single year. I mean, it's it's you know the key place to start. It, you can start for less than what it costs you to buy a Starbucks coffee. Most people spend five to six dollars on a coffee every day. I mean, you could spend less money on ads and actually run a profitable business. So, I mean, absolutely. It has the most data, has the most information on it. They've been, you know, tracking their users the longest. No other social media platform is keeping up with so many different little behaviors. So, absolutely great place to start. Super low barrier to entry in terms of, you know, actually what you have to spend. If you want to get on TikTok today, well, you're going to have to be spending at minimum of 20. Then you're going to have to cost cap your item. So if you don't even know what your, you know, cost per acquisition is, let's say you've never tested it. Well, if you go to TikTok, they're just going to spike your cost. And then you're going to have such a high barrier to entry that you're going to be dropping a couple hundred dollars before you ever see the light and day of a single purchase. And that's not sustainable for any business. And then on search, it's so competitive because, you know, the auction system is built off of impression share. So how many, you know, allowed people are searching for the specific term. And then all these bigger companies are eating up that, you know, those first few spaces. So you'd have to spend an arm and a leg just to actually serve, you know, perfectly to actually get a lot of people to convert. Whereas on Facebook, you can be as broad as possible and still be able to, you know, have a good chance against the big guys because if you have a good creative, if you have a fast loading website, if you have a solid product, you can outcompete these other people because you can get a offer, you know, an actual better product at a better price and get a lot of good impressions and actually reach people to convert. So certainly Facebook is still the place to go. It's just, you know, you have to move with the change, stay updated with the times and adapt to these things. Otherwise, you know, the business won't always survive. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I found encouraging, even from earlier on in in our conversation, is you know what are the main pillars that keep a business afloat uh, through all the. T uh, t I was I was about to try to invent a word like tumultuous, but tumultuosity. I don't know. I I, I think it's got legs, but through all of this uh, tumultuous uh, uncertainty, it's you, you'd have to try to overthink this quality product, yeah. quality customer service, a brand yes. that means what they say. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's on the marketing and sales side. Of course, there's good operations people who know logistics, who know how to get crazy fast ship times, who know how to work down the price where they have incredible margins, where they can actually spend a lot of money to out acquire customers, who actually know how to build you know, secondary products on their primary ones to get those upsells and added profit value and to actually keep their customers retained, who know all those subscription models. I mean, you can be a wizard at a lot of different things. But, you know, on the marketing and sales side, if you just have those main pillars, you're going to have, you know, a higher chance of success than not. I mean, you could be fantastic at logistics, but if you don't know how to get somebody in front of yourself to buy the products, what's even the purpose of it? You know, so, I mean, it really has to go hand in hand. Uh, But at the same time, you can get sales with these main ones to begin with before you have to figure out all the other backend stuff. So one thing I, I jotted down as a note um, for, from the very beginning, once you had um, uh, described, you know, what you do and what you're up to is that so creative is not handled um, uh, within within your company. So creative is largely on the uh, on the on the client side. So one thing I, I don't have a clear picture of is, I guess, the barrier for entry for clients to want to work with you. You know, s- small businesses, they link it bigger. And it's been a pretty consistent pattern is that, you know, you do have to have some established um uh, capital and some momentum going uh, for most agencies are going to put the the energy on. And I, I don't know if that's an exception with you guys. So yeah, the average business now with us is spending anywhere between 30,000 and hundred grand per month. We'll usually take clients within the 50 K plus range monthly ad spend uh, because that way there's enough information there for us to come in and really scale that business pretty drastically, or they're already, you know, a large company. Like for instance, we had this company come in and they're the number one seller in their category in all of these retail locations. You know, they have extreme wide distribution or selling in all these different places, but their brand awareness is, you know, in last place in their category. So nobody knows about them, but they're the, the biggest seller in their space. So how could that even happen? Right? Well, it's primarily because they're not doing any online advertising. They've grown their business through distribution, through having that wide network and people trying their product out and then people loving it and coming back. Well, you know, online, they they just launched their e-commerce business because after COVID, all these retail stores were closed. They're like, this is the first time in history where we've been running our business and have ever had an issue. You know, we'll sell a billion dollars this year. But after COVID, they're like, what do we do? We got to go to e-com. And so they don't know what to do, but they have the budgets for it. And now we're helping them create their budget, you know, these million dollar budgets. So that way they can get their brand out there and have a sustainable online business to protect them from the downsides of, you know, these extreme things that nobody would even expect are going to happen. So what's their relationship with working with them and their, and their, and their ideas? Um, because I, I can't imagine that you have like no input or no impact rather on the creative that they're presenting because it's, it is part of oh. your ability to scale their brand. Yes, it's a lot. We, yeah. we give a, you know, a lot of times the creatives do not like us because we'll say, hey, you know, that might look pretty, but, you know, here's the thing. We need it to convert. It needs to be direct. We need to have these, you know, actions here. We need this verbiage. And a lot of times they're, you know, taking that as an insult to their creativity, which yes, it is beautiful. It looks super cool. But at the end of the day, people aren't going to buy from that thing. You know, we have to have it look a specific way. We need product front and center. We need the backgrounds to be fluid. You know, we want it to be on brand. The logo needs to be in this specific corner. All these little fine details add up to the overall conversion picture. So a lot of times, you know, we'll make a lot of creative recommendations, which is good for the brand because now they actually know what they need to do. And we're providing insight. We're saying, hey, you know, here's the colors that are converting for you on the background. Here's where the product placements are converting for you. Now those two, you know, constants need to stay at play in play here 
all the other stuff, we'll leave the creativity up to you at that point. So that way they can still get variation and, you know, new feel to the overall brand, but while staying on that actual conversion, you know, rule book. So, you know, we do have a lot of consulting on the creative side. We just don't create it in-house ourselves. Here's one thing that I, I tend to, to scratch my head of regarding uh, creative. Cause you know, I, I, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. It's, it's lucky that I can justify it nowadays by saying, well, I'm just keeping my, uh, my eye on what ads are. And I notice the, um, what I call it's those dropshippy ads. Um, but they always seem like they, they paid somebody on Fiverr, like, you know, 2399 to, to have the, the ad and you know, there's the music and they use the footage they got from Alibaba or AliExpress. Uh, and I, and I see it pretty consistently and I, and I, and I sound like I'm knocking it which is probably because I am, but I'm also, I'm making those ads too. Those are the ones that I, that I have, uh, uh being a workshop right now. So I'm not immune to it whatsoever. And then there's this other pillar of ads where this brand would just come out of nowhere, but it'll have such um, uh, its own foundation that it seems to have the the, the capacity to, to take on the entire industry. So for instance, right now, there's this ad running all over the place called Dr. Squanch, which is these soap bars, which I'm this close to, to getting, by the way. Um, you know, I haven't been let down by goat's milk, but like it, it's hard not to want to buy that product because it's everywhere and it seems like it's a product for the perfect fit. And it seems to me that those two pillars. Now, are you working in in both of these areas? And if so, is there a more, I guess, equitable and fair way to quantify them? Yeah, that's that's disruptive advertising for sure. When you have somebody where there's a space where there's histo- history of people having ads who have successfully built businesses there in a business model where you think like, you know, soap, has been taken over. It's controlled in the industry, just like in the car business. Who would have thought that you know Tesla would blow up all of a sudden in an industry that seemed like they had a massive grip on it? Well, it's disruptive advertising for you know that's you said it was Squatch Bar, Doctor Squatch, yeah, yeah Doctor Squatch, and that's because they're doing really innovative di- disruptive advertising, which is like having you know a main character and telling a story. And, you know, being really explosive with their creatives and being really unique. And they do a lot of big shoots. Like, you know, they're super funny. They're super engaging. They're super into it. And they're getting a ton of views. And I guarantee you those ads are only converting within, you know, under 2x. It's highly likely because those are going to have tons of laughs, tons of engagements. But what's happening is if you hit Amazon and you type in, you know, soap, you're going to see probably a white image background with Dr. Squatch right there in the center, nothing else, strong call to action, buy now. And you're gonna, and most of the people are gonna buy. I've bought in because of this. And I, you know, saw those forever. And when I go on Amazon, you know, I'm not tied to one specific brand on soap, but you know, as soon as I type in, you know, men's soap, bam, and they're the first one showing an ad that's a white background. I've heard of them. I trust them. They're funny. I think they're cool. They talk about all these, you know, earthly things they use, non-chemicals. I'm not a big chemical fan. I don't like the idea of not knowing what's in my soap. So of course I'm going to buy. And so that's the beauty of how that works. And it's a huge machine because one, they're putting the investment up front. Yes, they might be breaking even, but all of these people who've seen it way back or got a good kick out of it are like, Hey, at the end of the day, I'll try it out. And that's where the very direct ads come into play. And so you have these basic carousels, these you know story ads where it's not even showing them. It's just showing like that tree with the earthy feel. And it's like, here's you know Dr. Squatch box with the soap in it. Boom, there's the purchase. 
but it, they build up this huge wave of engagements. And then over time, they come back and want to convert all these people. And it's very disruptive to any other player in the space because one, nobody's been fronting on such a big level in terms of actually, you know, going big. And you got to think about this too. We have all birds who've done it. We've had purple do it in the mattress space. That space seemed like it was taken over, you know, and Allbirds, you would think that Nike, Adidas, and all these big shoe companies control the area. Allbirds is the one of the highest spending advertisers on Facebook, and they're extremely disruptive. And their stuff isn't, you know, super in your face. It's just that they have this explosive power in being able to come up with these super clear marketing messages and spreading it. And they have an incredible feeling shoe. And so, like you, you know, it's no surprise that they would be so successful at the same time. But yes, it is it is pretty insane how fast a company can, you know, seemingly pop up out of nowhere and be so large in an industry that seems so controlled. There's, there's a couple of points I wanted to raise there. One of them is because you, you briefly mentioned Tesla and one memory that I had uh, pulled from my file, which I hadn't uh, thought about in a long time, is I remember, uh, you know, 2000s, I guess like uh, end of the 90s, uh, early aughts, the idea of the electric car was not only did it seem impractical, but that there was an active campaign to take these out. Uh, by the oil companies and and basically the 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 automotive industry, so there. I mean, I believe there's a documentary called like Who Killed the Electric Car. Yeah, I ain't got to see that. I didn't. I they didn't quite even literally see killed them. I didn't even see they it. Just took them all and crushed them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just picturing like a Godfather montage where they just like snap a few of these in half. Yeah. Now I didn't even see that documentary, but for that for that for that title, that alone. Um, leave somebody with a pretty significant impression. I think part of the part of the ability for Tesla to advertise is uh, almost to show like this the superhuman quality to it where they're able to get past this this automotive industry. This is you know we we kill those last guys, we'll kill you guys too. And you know Elon Musk with his flamethrower says, "Yeah, actually, yeah, I got a better idea." Because but Elon Musk is tied to the advertising of it. He's a personality. You know, people people support him. People people well, not everybody, but a lot of people like what he does. He he supports a cryptocurrency. Next thing you know, Dogecoin, the memeiest of all of the coins, is now all of a sudden it's like massive. It takes off and it comes and it plunges. So that's just a couple of uh, observations that I, that I made from that. And then with uh, but just touching on Dr. Squanch one more time. One thing that I find interesting about it is they're working on a pretty significant shift in the culture because the idea of having chemicals on on our soap is, uh, is, is, aside from our own effect on it, just what that must mean about the manufacturing process. And even if I haven't subscribed to it, we'll, we'll see by the time this episode comes out, the damage is done. They've already established who the bad guys are, which are all these other soap companies who are all going, oh, frick. And then ironically, you know, they're going into the shower, they're cleaning themselves off. And, you know, there's 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 some dark comedy to that. But they've they've done their job. And I and I'm and I'm wondering is um if you've had the chance, you know, with, with your company, with some of the clients you're working with, is have they been able to really deal direct damage in different industries and leave a lasting impression, which Ideally, converts into yes. profit. Yeah, there's NDAs with these larger companies. Sure, but sure, yeah. right now there's a big thing going on in you know a franchise industry where a lot of people aren't getting paid, like McDonald's, Subway, people who have franchises. And so one of the things is you know when you have a franchise that has a lot of power, well, that's a big advertising opportunity because their franchisees do get paid. 
So what they want to do is, is say, hey, let's, you know, control the narrative here. If people at McDonald's aren't getting, you know, paid and people aren't getting paid at Subway, let's go ahead and, you know, put this to rest and, you know, annihilate a lot of their business by pushing a marketing message where we're actually, you know, going on the offense now that they're, you know, struggling, right? So there's big companies will make big moves like this when they see their opponent is weak, they'll go in and they'll say, hey, now's the time. And we'll come up with these big advertising campaigns to say, hey, we're going to go crush you know, these guys over this, you know, thing that is going wrong in their business. And like, why should people not get paid? That's not fair. You know, so like, it's already a good thing because we're doing something where people are getting paid. So, you know, these advertising campaigns can come in and do massive damage to, you know, their, you know, these other competitive business models and have a really good chance of successfully coming out at a lot more market share. And, you know, we have businesses where we have a, a business that, started with us and they had 50% of a specific market with a, you know, very specific product in the, you know, camping industry. And now we're nearly at 80% and there's only three other people selling the same thing. And we're closing in on these people. And the thing is, is if we're outspending them, out acquiring them and gaining all these customers and we're selling them on our products, well, they're going to stay as a lifetime customer rather than switching. Because if we're offering the same thing at a better cost and we're willing to stay in front of them more often, eventually we're going to drown out the competition. So, you know, there's, there's multiple ways to do it. You can outspend, out acquire, and, you know, really dominate the whole area because if you're buying all the supply, that's another thing, you know, going back to Tesla, Elon's now like, hey, I'm not going to be competing with offers here. I'm tired of waiting on these batteries. I'm just going to pay you up front and I'm going to buy everything up front. And then as soon as you get it, you're giving it to me. Rather than saying, hey, I'll buy whatever supply you have, like all these other people, he's paying before he even gets it. That way... Yeah, he's basically, he's pre-ordering. Yeah. So he wants to control the market share. So these other companies will do the same once they grow and get larger. And this can be done in the dropshipping industry. You don't have to be some big elaborate company. I'm talking small guys can come in with the product, outspend their competitors, outmarket them, out advertise them. Because at the end of the day, if you're selling the same thing, it really does come down to best experience, best customer support, and best creative and best marketing tactics. And if you know how to actually go in there and dominate, give a better offer and actually acquire a lot of the share and buy up all the supplies... Well, nobody's going to want to get on a product if it's going to take 15 to 20 weeks to, you know, order it because you decided to buy all the, you know, product and put it in the warehouse locally. So like there's a lot of things you can do in the dropshipping world to actually take over market share with what seemingly is, you know, a very competitive industry with people using a lot of the same products. So there are ways there can be breakthroughs for small guys. You know, this isn't a big person's game. Well, no, I I I that that's I mean it's it's encouraging for one. I never really thought um how much uh, additional uh, benefit I would have, uh, you know, ordering additional product into the warehouse. You know, the ease and uh, of of logistics it being delivered uh, in a smaller time frame is certainly helpful. But the idea of making it more difficult for for the competition um, for yeah. suppliers, yes. yeah, for, yeah, that's a uh, yeah. That, that, that's Those a guys, if you're able to, you know, because you know, there's limited supplies they even have, and they have to create it. So, like if you know, there's available supplies. If you're have a successful product and you're selling a ton of it, you know, rather than only buying the minimum, you could just buy a lot more because you know it's already selling off the shelves. So why not just load up on it and prevent all these other people from seeing the same opportunity and trying to get a lot more of the product too. By the way, if you're a current user of Debutify or haven't tried us out yet, Debutify version three has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any. A streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion-boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. Who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long.
with respect to the uh, you know so your your clients and their, and their and their privacy, I never want you to feel like you have to you know answer the question to a degree that you're not supposed to. Um, I, you know, because we have um, some of the results from your website, so these clients, their yes. names are on there, so it's not sure. Yes, uh, you know it, it. It blows my mind to see some of the before and after, like one point fifty five x to eight x, and another is twelve x to seventy x. That's seven zero uh, for those of you listening on a sub uh, on the on transit. That's pretty massive. So uh, I'd like to. Uh, so that's one pillar to the question. The other question, um, if it is is relevant to it. Um, I always ask this question whenever I'm, you know, working with uh, companies or, or agencies or services. Is this idea, you know, of data being aggregated? You know, you collect data from all these clients, and it, you learn lessons, and those lessons can be used to help everybody else out. So, with that in mind, if it's relevant, that would be great. But, you know, what has been the the, the cause for some of the most significant uh, return on ad spends uh, to your to your recollection? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with an outstanding offer. The, a lot of times whenever we see these explosive ROAS growth, it's because we came up with a, you know, highly enticing offer that is able to capture a ton of people at like, you know, fractions of a penny of a purchase. Like you got to think of a brand like God is Dope. They sell t-shirts, okay? The thing is, everybody's cost to get a t-shirt right now is anywhere between like 25 to like $45 to pay for a shirt and then they have to sell it for a ridiculous amount of money. And then they make super tiny profit. God's Dope's coming in and selling it at $5 and you can get up to four shirts for five bucks. Same quality. How in the world are they able to do that? Well, it's done at scale. So an offer like that, one, it's almost impossible to compete with for anybody because their logistics never make any sense and the profit margin will get annihilated. And two, the shipping time on that is absolutely insane because they have so many people in a parish community working with them and they're uplifting their whole community because they have so many sales coming in. So you come in with this $5 buy four offer and it has a positive message about God. And, you know, it's lighthearted and it's, you know, going with the whole audience. And there's tons of people who are buying it for literally two cents it's costing to acquire a purchase. And, you know, that's already profitable to begin with. You know, very small, but there's profits already built into that. Because if you're paying two cents, I mean, come on, that's an insane offer. And two, you have all these other drops you can do every single week. They can do a new drop, new color, new idea, new spin on something. And they have this massive email base, this massive customer base that already loves their product. And they do the drops at $15, $25, you know, today only, special thing, only one release, limited time. And they, you know, the profits are insane on how much it explodes because now you're paying nothing to get to these people because you're sending one email blast and you're getting, you know, and it's the 30 to 40% of your entire list of purchases. And if you have a couple million of these people on a list, you could only count up the dollars here. It's absolutely insane. So, I mean, a really solid offer will give you crazy ROAS. That's 100x plus ROAS in some cases. You know, So you can see these crazy numbers even at scale. It got so crazy that our CPMs weren't even loading in the ads manager. It literally just had too many zeros because you broke, you, know, you actually quite literally look like you broke the algorithm because Facebook favors an offer and they favor all of these people who are clicking through and buying because they're like, obviously people love it, we'll push it out more. And if it's so good, and it's such a perfect fit, and it's such a good offer, they're just going to unleash that thing, and it's just going to out, you know, pace everybody. Whereas you, know, you might be selling a $50 shirt, and it's going to cost you $50 CPM just to reach 1,000 people. And then it's going to cost you 45 bucks just to get one of those people to buy. So I mean, like, it's a hard business model when you're looking at a bad offer. But as long as your offer is great, 
then you can really have some explosive growth. So those extreme rise jumps really come from a solid creative, a solid, you know, message that we know is going to convert with the audience and then an offer that is just like, you know, unquestionable. I want to do that. You know, it's been a while since, um, you know, I, anybody had, uh, had talked to me or the, the God is dope brand had, um, come into my, uh, my my radar that audience as, as as large as it is is still niche down in a few ways i mean for one i don't really think atheists are going to buy that shirt unless they're being ironic which is you know a pretty small uh, part of the atheist community and then you have people who are religious and maybe i mean god is dope to me it's like you know low-key chill but also christian so again i don't i don't really see the muslim community um wearing that I don't know if I if I'm wrong, guys. Feel free to let me know. Um, and then you get into the Christian community, and you also have to have a sense of humor. I think to, to wear something like that. Uh, I think a lot of uh, uh, sex within the Christianity, you know, the different um, uh, uh, different schools of thought or the different churches or the different ways that they're characterized. Some of them might not appreciate that. So if you really think about it, there's there's a pretty to me at least there's a pretty specific a target market there, and yet. With this selling in bulk strategy, it's still able for them to have massive conversions and be a massive success. When you get a customer, a lot of people think that that's their final and last one. They don't think that like, hey, if you put your focus back on the people you acquire, think about like Amazon, one of the largest companies now we have in the US, right? Where people use that every single day. Once you acquire a customer... You can make so much more money just by catering to their needs, by opening up more products, giving them more value. It, you know, for instance, you know, you sell something under the desk. Well, maybe you sell something that's on top of the desk, or it's a productivity thing because you find out your entire audience loves to be organized, and now you have this productive calendar that you're now going to release. You don't even have to go find a new audience. You can just sell it to the whole, you know, user base you've already created. So launching products or businesses built around your current customers for the needs they have is great because you've already acquired them. You did the hard part. Lots of people forget that and they never you know, do part two to their current base. They're always like, oh, what does this new audience want from us? And they're always trying to find, oh, we want to go in this direction now, this direction now to sell this product. And then they run out of ideas. But at the end of the day, they could have made way more and had actually a much more happier customer base just by constantly catering to them. The offer gets them in the door, then you can look at making all your explosive profits on the back end with actually, you know, giving the best value to your customers possible. You ought to forgive me if this is something that you're not privy to, but I'm just trying to to figure this out for my for my own sake. Is that um, either when that brand had started and they didn't have the capacity to buy in bulk, they're just you know they're they're taking a lot more of a loss early on, but they're trying to establish their brand, so they recognize that it's investment, or B they actually had a large sum of money to make this large wholesale purchase and were actually able to start selling at the, at the, at the, at that uh, higher profit margin. Yeah, no, this is a pretty incredible story. I mean, the guy was selling these shirts in his high school. So, I mean, like he was making these at his home and selling them around and he just saw how much people loved them and was like, I'm going to start, you know, selling these at other schools and other people picking it up. And he's like, man, everybody loves this thing. I need to like, you know, buy a little press machine. You know, I don't know where the story goes from there, but, you know, it goes all the way back to, you know, the roots of not having any startup capital. You don't need startup capital to launch a business these days. It's just a matter of being able to, you know, structure something. You can bootstrap this entire thing. And even if you have a couple hundred dollars, it's still okay because there's all these free trials you can get these days. And that will get you, you know, you can build up your site, you can build up these themes, you can build up, you can have all these products in place before you even 
you know, how many buyers. And then once everything's ready, you can then launch and start selling it with all the model built in. You don't have to like start spending all this up front. So, I mean, I wouldn't even advise anybody to go get all this massive supply of anything. You know, you first need to make sure you can sell the thing and then figure out how to build the back end around that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 I myself, I didn't know the history of it, but um, you know, him starting off uh, selling in high school, I guess technically it's more in category A, you know, selling it and incurring a loss, whatever. But like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not that great of a comparison anyway. So, uh, but I, but I think it, you know, it speaks to, he had, a, he had an idea and he meant it. And, th- and that's one thing that I just think is so important to convey. And, you know, ideally I do that every episode, which is what, what your brand is, you got to mean it. And one strategy that I think is, is also key too, is, you know, you don't maybe necessarily have to start by selling a product. You can start, just start a brand, start writing a blog, uh, throw some affiliate links in there, uh, you know, tr- try getting some commission off of it and, and, and just start building authority in the space. And, you know, when you're ready to sell the product, you can sell it. And the brand to me is, it's the insurance policy, it's a safety net, but it's also the, the ability, the, the, the fertilizer for something to actually grow. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Successful business owners have platforms. They have, you know, audiences built around them. They have solid brands. They have messages that people resonate with that where those people aren't even necessarily buying from them, but they would love to buy from them if they offered something. They'd love to see their next product. They'd love to see their next service and they'd love to make those purchases. So like if you, you know, have an audience, you have people engaged, I mean, and they love you for who you are and they're always going to support what you're doing. Yeah, you're going to have a much more successful run than somebody who's, you know, has no audience at all and having to, you know, launch prior to that. So, I mean, like if here's another good thing, if you launch on TikTok and start building an audience there on social media and then you create your product, that's awesome because you already have your customer, you know, base pre-established because you can first sell to them and then find out what they want. And that's the best way to really do it is to, you know, figure out what people really want and then provide them that. It's encouraging to hear it coming from you because, you know, not everybody is working at your level, but, you know, to hear that it, it, it goes all the way to, if somebody is just selling t-shirts in high school, they're starting their, their store up and they're, they're about to sell on the Facebook for the first time. Those pillars remain the same, you know, from, from, from point A to point B to point Z. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, anybody can do anything right now. I mean, you don't have to have any startup capital. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how credible you are. You can build those things. You can build your authority online. And over time, once you, you know, actually acquire that authority, people trust you. Then you have an avenue for, you know, catering to their needs. And it's a fantastic way to do it. And it's, you know, the right way to do it. It's not some, you know, get rich quick thing. It's actually sustainable. It's growable. And it's building on layers and foundational pieces that are very structural. Well, with that, we are uh, we're, we almost hit an hour mark, um, and, and and I have to say, I'm just uh, before we started recording, I, I related the information that I received to I'm a bucket under a waterfall, uh, and so you know the bucket definitely got uh, was, was once again filled <laughs> up with the with, with valuable. Uh, Good to hear. So. I, I just want to very briefly touch on uh, TikTok just for, for, for a couple of seconds here because um, I don't really know much about the advertising on TikTok. Um, so for people, who, I guess, who have the capital or the means and they want to start strategizing on TikTok, what are kind of like the key uh, indicators of a good TikTok ad? Yeah, you need to be an established brand, I'd say. I don't want to discourage anybody. Anybody can try it. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying that, you know, usually you want to know what your KPI is. You want to know what your break-evens are because you're going to have to have to spend some money to get it to really work because you have to have data on their platform. But also, you don't want to make 
super direct ads. This is actually a reverse. You want to have more TikTok style ads on this platform because this everybody who uses TikTok, they want authentic. They're tired. They're, the, the noise has overwhelmed them with how direct people have been. And on TikTok, they want to just you know be exposed to new creative things. This is your chance to be creative. But you still need that message. The call to action has to be there. People need to know that they can even buy it, it, what it is that you're selling. But they need to be TikTok style videos, like influencer type you know, videos where maybe it's a product review or it's done in TikTok format, which is having quick, choppy, one-second cut, cuts with you know, uh, actual wording being shown on every frame, maximizing the amount of views it can actually get. That way, people can be exposed to it, become aware, and then want to purchase when you do show those direct retargeting ads later on. These ads have to be very TikTok-oriented. Anybody coming into the space that doesn't think they should you know, play the TikTok game is badly mistaken on conversions because you got to play their game because it's very serious how much the TikTok community likes to see TikTok-style videos. <laughs> and, and, and I think the, it's, I mean, it's also going to be more fun to... To, to create content of that like and tiktok is a very specific content platform you know fa- facebook you go onto facebook there's i don't know what it is but every time i go onto like those like um the, the video section it's always the same video about like somebody getting somebody getting bullied and then and then they come back like a, a week later and they hit the guy they hit the bully with a baseball bat and it's like there's the same video every time so i don't know what it is about the video <laughs> section or maybe it just knows me too well but uh, all, all that aside um again it's it is encouraging to hear that like you know it's a creative outlet but in order to have the creative um, uh, thought process, there has to be things set up in advance, you know, your brand, your mission, and as much of an an establishment as you can muster. So with that, uh, we're going to, we're going to wrap this up. This has been a fantastic hour. Um, I'm really, really grateful, really thankful to to have had you with us today. Um, If there's any other warnings you want to give us regarding what we were talking about at the beginning, um, we cascaded into many different things, but um, anything else you want to leave with us? If there's a stone I forgot to unturn, feel free. And then let the audience yeah. know how they can uh, look into more what you're up to. Certainly no warnings. I think you know the quickest way to get started is just by doing, taking action, being willing to test things, being willing to learn, be curious, and actually go through the process. You know, nothing should ever deter you no matter how much change is going on in the market. It's just important to pay attention to where those shifts are happening and then adjust with the right information and making sure that you understand what's going on. That way you can better prepare yourself and start low. You don't need to go big on the first day. You can actually start small, get a good understanding. And then once you're comfortable, then you can have some explosive growth and actually try these risky things or do these incredible campaigns. And you've been an incredible interviewer. I've really appreciated it. I've enjoyed this call a lot. And, uh, People can find me on social media on my Instagram, Real Chase Chapel. It's C H A S E Chase, and then Chapel is spelled C H A P P E L L. My website's also chasechapel.com. I have a YouTube channel. I post, you know, hundreds of free videos, fully transparent. You could see over 200 different client calls of all these different clients we have that I'm consulting with and showing their ad accounts. There's no cutouts. It's all 100% authentic. That way, anybody can see exactly what steps we're taking. And you know how it is we're actually generating these results. It's not me just talking into a camera. You won't even see me. You're just going to see the ad account and the boring long hour of us making every click so that way you can watch exactly what made them successful too. Thank you, by the way, for uh, uh, for for saying what you said about the interview. Um, you know, I, I I like I like my audience knows I've been in media for a long time, and this has certainly given me a chance to really you know challenge myself and try to put together the best content as I can, respectful of 
the, the, of, of your time, which is you know, uh, reasonably valuable. So, you know, I, I really do my best. And so it means a lot to hear that. And that's a that's a great uh, that's great content to really see like the exact work that you guys are doing. So uh, I strongly uh, recommend checking that out. And with that, to my audience, as always, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to collect this information and impart it to all of you just as much as it has been imparted to me. So take care and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.